Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Home Builders. We're going to go ahead and get started in about a minute. So uh, come on in and find a, a seat. Uh, so we'll just read our verse together. It's Jonah 3.10 together. Help me out here. God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. God's call in Paul's life, and it's, I think I believe it's a, a call for all of our lives. Now, I'm not going to take the time this week to read this, but you have it in your notes. If you don't have a note, let us know. Just raise your hand, and Dave will get one to you. But um, what we're talking about, what Paul is talking about here in particular, um, again, the books of the Bible were not written in chapters. They were It's one letter. And so what was ended up happening is, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's talking about Christian liberty and, and the church having freedom in Christ. And so with that freedom that comes, we also have that responsibility. And how do we treat one another? Well, our focus shouldn't be on ourselves, on our rights, our freedoms, um, our, 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 the, the way that we think is okay to live. But we should be willing to give up our freedoms in Christ for others. And so the, the issue was at the time of this, in the first century, was meat that was offered to idols. Um, so, that, you know, obviously you didn't go to the grocery store. Today we don't go to Kroger and go, uh, this sirloin is $8.99 a pound, but this sirloin that was offered to idols is only $5.99 a pound. I'll take the meat offered to idols. Well, that's what they had to deal with, though, in the first century. So the issue is, what you have to think through that is this. In our culture today, what are controversial issues that Christians disagree about? What are controversial issues that Christians disagree about? That you understand because of the word of God, you have freedom to live that way. Now, again, if you go back to Romans 14, which is the key passage on it, which we already had a lesson on that a couple, several weeks ago. The issue is, is that, well, every one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone is going to be held accountable for the choices that we've made. So we better make sure that we actually believe what we, our freedom in Christ is actually freedom in Christ and not just our opinion. So we shouldn't just go, yeah, that's right. I, I, can, I have freedom. I can do whatever I want to do. And then find out later, not so much. But when we do have a controversial issue, what he's saying to us is this. If you're around a brother or sister in Christ who doesn't feel that they have the freedom to participate in that, but you do, you have the responsibility to give up that freedom so that they're not tempted to violate their conscience. And so then Paul addresses that issue here in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 by making the statement, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, you follow the way I'm living my life. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to cause anyone to stumble. I don't want anyone to fall into sin because of my lifestyle, my choices. And so in that, I'm going to give up that freedom for you. And there are things that I have chosen not to do in my life, and I'm speaking for, my, for myself right now, 
that I will not do, even though I believe I have the freedom to do, so that I don't cause someone else to stumble or to become offended or become weak. And that, I think, is important for all of us. We have freedom, but not everything is beneficial or constructive. Okay? And so what we have to decide is, is this activity that I'm saying, I have every right to do this, good, but is it constructive? Does it build me up? Is it helpful to me? Okay? Now, uh, Pastor Dane, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, Cheryl loves Hallmark. Um, but that would be destructive to my, my personal life. You know? <laughs> Just kidding. Of course. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Is it going to build me up? Is it going to help me in my faith walk? We should seek the good of others before ourselves, even when it causes us to give up our freedoms. Okay? Everything we should do is to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Okay? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So in other words, when we walk out of here today and we do life, everything I choose to do should be to the glory of God, not to the glory of self. And that includes every detail of my life. It's not like, it's my money. No, it's not. It's my car. No, it's not. It's my home. I'm, this is my home and I can do whatever I want in it. No, you can't. Not if you're a child of God. You give up those rights for the glory of God. Okay, so what we do then is we struggle through this principle and say, wait a second. We should please then everyone. And we talked about this last week. We should please everyone. Now, and, and again, we're not to be man-pleasers. That's, that's not what it's talking about here. It's not becoming carnal for somebody else. Not living sinful life to make everybody else feel better. Pleasing everybody, what he's talking about here is, how can I live my life ultimately so that they will grow in their faith? Or they'll become a follower of Christ. I want to please everyone. I want to benefit everyone. And then, you know what? Sometimes you go, that's not fair. That's not right. I don't think I should have to do that. And from a worldly perspective, you're absolutely right. Nobody thinks that way. But from a Christ-like way, that's why he says, follow me as I follow Christ. We follow that example then. Paul was an encourager, okay? And put it in writing. And we talked last week about being an encourager. Putting it in writing. When you think about that, how do you help people? How do you encourage people in the Lord? Romans 1.8 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. And let me just make this comment again as I did last week. Okay, I'm flying through this first part because I want us to get to where we need to for class. These notes. Okay, think about this. When someone does something well, a spouse, they do something. How do we respond? In our minds, do we say, well, finally? Or do we say, thank you? Or do we just take things for granted? A child does something well. It's like, how many times have I told you, you finally did it, you know? It's like, no, 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 encourage. Thank you for doing that. Great job. I appreciate that. We all need encouragement, amen? Okay, so bless and encourage each other. You're, those of you who are children in here, 
When mom and dad does something, when mom cooks a meal and you like it, you know, it's like, do we go, well, that's just her job. Or do we, are we appreciative? Are we thankful for what they do? Okay. Paul was humbled and he recognized his own sinfulness. Okay. Why would Paul consider himself to be the worst sinner? We said this last week, so remind everybody, maybe they weren't here last week. Why would Paul consider himself the worst sinner? Yeah, he's a persecutor of Christians. He was a murderer. Okay? okay. Although Jesus never sinned, how did he humble himself? And I think this is important because God calls us to be the same, right? Humble yourself. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the, the humble. How did Christ humble himself? By leaving his throne of glory, coming to be born in a manger. Really? The God of very God becomes an infant. Has to go through all of that growth from an infant into adulthood for 33 years, living with the constraints of a body, of flesh. Feeling the pain, the exhaustion as human being. And ultimately, what? Dying on the cross, suffering for the, for the sins of humanity. He did all of that for us. Now, what Jesus does is he says, go and do that likewise. So how are we dying to ourselves? First Timothy 1.15. Someone read that for me. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Okay? But Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And Paul recognizes his own sinfulness. So then the question is this. If Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now I want you, I, I think this is important for me to get. And I hope that you'll understand the same perspective. So if Jesus was talking to me, okay, Lou, what is the most important part of your life? From a worldly perspective, from a worldly perspective, and I have to be honest with you, I think this way a lot. I want to live my life to the best of my ability to serve God, to serve people, and to retire well. You know, yeah, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody else think that way at times? <laughs> yes, um, the pointing of fingers is always beneficial. It's me. I think that way, but no. Jesus' whole perspective was, I want to live my life for others. Now, again, you've heard me say there's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with wealth. Okay? The good Samaritan had money. He couldn't have paid for a hotel room if he didn't have it. Right? So there's nothing wrong with money. But it's not about him hoarding it like the rich young ruler. Man, my barns are filled. What do I do? I know what I'll do. I'll tear them down and build bigger ones. Then I'll say to myself, self, you've got plenty for your life. 
Eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, for tomorrow you'll die. And then do stuff you got. It's nothing. So ultimately, I've got to think, Lou, it's not about just doing everything right and then you retire happy. It's living your entire life for others. Paul was passionate for souls. Romans 1.16. Okay? Someone read that for me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Role model, are you passionate for the unsaved? Are you passionate for people who don't know Jesus? Who without Christ will die and spend an eternity in hell? That's family. That's friends. That's co-workers. That's enemies. That's politicians in Washington. Okay? Do we have a passion for the lost that they might be saved is our prayer life does not the Bible tell us Romans that we should be praying for all those in authority yes or no yeah. is that something that we do intentionally for their salvation that we're praying for their salvation and for the application of Christian principles in their life I do that each morning for our government leaders, for those federal, state, and local officials. Not to go, yay, Lou. No, the issue is, is that we've got, I can easily complain. Anybody else? Anybody bummed? Okay, yeah. But we need to pray each day for those in authority over us. Because it's really hard to complain when we haven't prayed. Romans 9, 1 to 5 says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. He's really serious about this. I, get this, okay? I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them it is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, praised and forever praised. Amen. So he says, you know, I, he was so focused on the loss that he was even willing to say, even though he knew it wasn't going to occur, I would be willing to be sent to hell if the nation of Israel would be saved. In all honesty, I'm not there. I said that last week and I say it again this week. I'm not there. I wouldn't want to spend a day in hell for anybody, let alone eternity. But you know what? His analogy, though, is this. I am so focused on seeing the children of Israel come to faith that I'll do everything in my power. God, do whatever you have to do, even accurse me for that sake, if you'll make it happen. He just loved them that much. A love for people is amazing. What does it take to have this type of attitude? How can we develop a love for all people like this? Jesus took up his cross for us and calls us to do the same. 
How do we have an attitude like this? How do we have, get the attitude of caring about souls like Paul did, like Jesus did? Any thoughts? How do we develop that? Amen. Sometimes we, we don't have it and we just ask, the, we have to ask the Lord for it. It's just like we have the freedom to ask for spiritual gifts. And God may be willing to give it to us. We can also pray and ask God to give us a love for the lost. That's Sandy. Um, I used to think, and I still do, that I could not have done, I can't just give him my son or God's never going to demand your grandchildren or your, your children. He's not going to demand your son. And yet, your heart, passion, thrives for that. For the, the salvation of people in such a way that even in all of it, we're not God. <laughs> we're, we, we're not going to have, because also, we also understand God had a purpose for that in particular. But you know what? God's plan sometimes causes the death of a person to bring about the salvation of another. Pastor Ding. I think a lot of it has to do with the mindset because I know at Liberty and you also, Lou, when students would come and say, I don't understand why I have to take Bible courses when I'm, when I'm studying to, to be an entrepreneur. And, and I think the mindset is, is, is just like that. God has given people abilities to make a lot of money. Uh, it's not me. But I look at it and I realize if I have a mindset that God has given me the ability to make money, why? To go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, that's why kids are studying to be lawyers. You know, and you're looking at it. That's like I was talking to a friend of mine and he said there was a guy that wanted to study uh, a medicine to go and, and reach the unreached world with the gospel. And, and all of a sudden he went on and, and he was studying plastic surgery. He said he's not there in the world. He has a big home and his whole mindset now is how much can I have and how big of a home can I get? I believe that we're senders or goers. And I look at that and I think it's the mindset of the world. You're not a success unless you have a big home, a big car, you know, and you look at it and you think, no, God's given you the ability to, to make money. Why? To carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think the world has gotten into me, 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 just like you're sharing. And, and, and I'm not willing to give up. I'm not willing to sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. 
And I look at that and I think, wow, it's the mindset. And a lot of our college kids have that mindset. I'm going to make a lot of money. What for? To buy a home? Uh, to drive a Porsche? Or to reach out and feed the children in India and reach out to them? I'm going to give that money. God's given that. You know, that was Art DeMoss. That was Art DeMoss. He had a big home, but it wasn't for self. He had a big home where he'd invite uh, 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 celebrities in and share the gospel. Yeah. Thousands he led one-on-one -on -one to Christ. So it, it's not the issue of, again, having stuff, but it's how are you using that stuff in the kingdom? Or like the plastic surgeon. We know doctors, I, you know, I, I can't recall their names, but I remember this past year hearing about one that went in and, and, and does cleft palates and, and goes around the world as a mission, you know, to help these families so that these children can actually live more normal lives. And he's, they're using it for their glory. Luke 9, 23 says, then he says to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And see, that's the call of Christ. He says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross daily, die to yourself daily, and follow me. Paul lived his life to exalt the Lord, either in his life or in his death. Someone read Philippians 1, 24. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. You know, and Cheryl, I've talked about this, you know, through this pandemic season. Just, you know, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, we're good for that. All right? We're happy with that. But at the same time, we know others aren't, and it's not necessarily God's time. Paul said, you know, I, I've got to learn to be content, whether in life or in death. You know, for me, to live as Christ and to die is gain. But here's the hard part. It's easier to die. I've shared this before, but I still remember, you know, many years ago when our kids were little, we went to India together as a family. We did Christmas with an orphan. And so we were in the state of Rajasthan and doing this. And and uh, and what are the, the bunch of the orphans are there? We, I still keep in contact with one. Um, and we've been... Facebook friends for 20 years now, it seems, um, or more. And uh, it, they took me into the church, and they looked in the back of the church. You know how the, in, in the older churches or Methodist churches or Lutheran churches, others, they have the little board with it. Here's the songs that you're going to sing, and, and here's the, the scripture verse maybe of the day, or here's the budget. And, you know, helps to remind people to give and those kinds of things. You know, because in small churches, they survive by that. You know, it's like, oh, that's a reminder. I'll, I'll put in a 20 instead of a 1 today. Um, and, but theirs wasn't that. Theirs was a, a list of names. And it was a list of names of people who had died for Christ. That they were persecuted by the Hindu religion, religious leaders of that community. And they'd killed them. And the kids were looking, one day we're going to be up here on this board. You know, and it was like exciting. We're going to die for, for Jesus one day. And I said, That's, that may happen. But you know what's harder than dying for Christ? Living for him. It's a whole lot harder to live for Christ than to die for Christ. And so the point is, is that as Christians, our goal should be whether in life or death to honor God. If God calls us to die for him, so be it. But if he calls us to live for him, let's live for him. Every single day, not for self, but for him. 
Philippians 3, 7 and 8 says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. In other words, anything that's just for my benefit alone, that's just for me, this selfish desire, anything that's for me, I consider lost, Paul said. And I've got to be honest, I'm not there. There's a lot of times when I go, I just want some quiet. You know? Tish. And according to the scripture, right? Storm treasure in heaven, where moth and rust does not corrupt, nor thieves break through and steal. So in other words, my life choices should ultimately be a blessing to God and not to myself. But that's a daily process of dying, right? That's why we die to self. So that we're actually doing things for others instead of just focusing on meeting our own needs. Paul lived his life to exalt the Lord either in his life or in his death. Okay? How can we make Christ preeminent through our lives? How do we do it through our death? How did Jesus exalt the Father through his life and death? So how, let's look at that first. How did Jesus focus his life for others through his life first? How did he exalt the Lord through his life? How did Jesus do it? Well, he always referred to it. He always referred to the Father. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What else? He was obedient to the Father. He was obedient to the Father. Bold in his teaching. Yeah, he was bold in his teaching. People are like, oh, we've never heard this kind of stuff before. That's pretty cool. This is, this is strange because he wasn't like the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law. He, they were, he was like, he was setting the record straight. He was saying it right and doing it right. And we should do the same. And how did he exalt him through his death? How did he exalt the father through his death? So in other words, how do we exalt the Lord through our life and death? How do we do that? So that ultimately, whether you're 12 in here, 20 in here, 40 in here, 60 in here, 80 in here, whatever. Our life is to exalt him. is to exalt God. And that means it's not about my happiness and my stuff. It's about his, his glory. Paul was an example of contentment. Are you content today? Am I content today? How content are you? Can someone tell me what the word content means? What does content mean? Satisfied? <clears throat> Satisfied? You have what you need. You've got what you need? You're good? Don't need anything else? Okay. Content. Someone read for me Philippians 4, 11 to 13. I'm not saying this 
See, that's the whole point of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I've learned when I've had lots of stuff to be happy. When the food, when the bills, everything's paid for. And I've also learned to be content when I'm going through really tough times. And I've got nothing. Now think about that. Imagine being content through tragedy. That's what points people to Jesus. Being content when everything's going well? What's so big about that? But when you're content, when life has went south, when your health, your job, your finances, your life's issues have gone di difficult and are struggling, but yet you're still content, that's weird. That's different. How can you go through that experience? And you can identify those in your own life. How can you go through that and still be content? I can do all things through him. Through Christ. Shalom. Um, you know, as Christians, we can feel that way, but I know people that are not Christians that will tell you they're not content when everything's right. <laughs> because ultimately, why? You're right on the money. Just like, you know, um, Mel Gibson did that. Yeah, Mel Gibson said that. Brady? He's like, I've got all this stuff, but yet I, I still think something's missing. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. We've got a winner. It's called Jesus. Amen. You know? Jesus is what ultimately brings contentment. John 4, 27 to 34 says, Just then his disciples returned. And we're surprised to find him talking to a woman. This is the woman of Samaria. Okay, so they go in town to buy food. If Jesus is hungry. He sits down by the well, knowing exactly what's going to take place. His disciples take off to town. This woman comes to him, but no one asked. You know, the woman comes to him, so he has this dialogue with her. And he says, yeah, uh, you're not married now. The man you're living with isn't your husband, and you've had five husbands. Okay, this guy knows a lot about me. You must be a prophet, right? And he's beginning to have this dialogue about uh, uh, the water that she'll never thirst again. Give me this. Uh, you can imagine what this woman's life would be like having to come to get water every single day. And now I don't have to have this anymore. That'd be great. Uh, you know, it's like dishwasher. <laughs> but yet at the same time, she wasn't understanding that focus and she was trying to work in these. So his whole purpose was to help her understand that he was the living water. So then the disciples come like, what are you talking to this Samaritan woman for? It's not right. So you, you know, everybody judges. Why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and became an evangelist, basically telling people, come to see Jesus. Yeah, come see Jesus. See the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, 
eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? <laughs> it's like, come on, really? Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now think about that. Many of you who remember Dr. Falwell would see him at a restaurant and people would walk up to him and interrupt his meals all the time. And people would come often say, you know, why do people do that? And yet that was his way to minister. It was like, okay, do I really need to focus on my food or the people who's walking up to talk to me right now? That was his focus. People. You and I. Jonathan's the same way. We see this happening. It's like people will interrupt your life. And I have to be honest with you. I, I, I confess myself. There, there's, there's a part of me that says, I like my time. And yet, why am I here? It's not about my time. It's about others. So I, I communicate with you. If you ever, 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 ever go to the hospital, go through something, and don't, don't think, I don't want to bother him. Call us. We may or may not be able to come, but if we can't, we'll be there. Let us know. That way we can be specifically meeting your need if you want it. That's what it's all about. That's what family's all about. That's what we're here for, right? That's what the body of Christ is for, to build each other up and help each other. Okay? God wants us to do his will. Paul was an example of contentment. Jesus was satisfied doing the Father's will. What other examples do we find in Scripture of the Lord's contentment? The Lord's contentment. When was the Lord content? He was content here in this situation. I don't need this food. How about the wilderness experience with Satan? 40 days. Imagine fasting 40 days, 40 nights. Are you hungry? Yeah. Turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And some of us get hangry when we miss a meal. Anything else? Yeah, Tish. When the, the, you know, the disciples are all in the boat and the waves are going crazy. He's in the boat. The disciples are going nuts. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to die? Are you kidding me? Do you still not know who I am? Peace be still. <laughs> Could you imagine? And they, it's, the scripture says... The disciples start freaking out. Who is this guy? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> He's God. He created the water. You know? He's learned in whatever state to be content. Finally, letter F. Paul was faithful to the end. 
Someone read 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 for me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's you. Amen? That's you. Someone else read 1 Peter 1 9. If you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the goal, folks. The salvation of your souls. Can you trust the Lord for that? Does God guarantee he died for you and by faith in Jesus you will live for him for eternity? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yeah. My sheep hear my voice, he said, and I know them. And they follow me. Now, I think there's a real important lesson in that, though. When I use that passage from first, for John 10, 27 through 30, he said, my sheep, if we're his sheep, we will follow Jesus. And that's why in presentations of the gospel, I will typically say, would you like to become a follower of Jesus and his word? Because disciples, people who are followers, it's not just, I want to go to heaven, so I'm going to pray a prayer and get me there. No, it's learning how to be a follower of Jesus. He says, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all. And no one shall pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Folks, I know you've heard me say this before, but I say it again. Just like Dr. Fall, he said the same thing over and over and over again to get in our thick heads. He doesn't have, figuratively speaking, he's got the whole world in his hand. <laughs> but spiritually speaking, only followers of Christ are in his hand. And no one, including me, can't get me out of his hand. And he and his father are one. He was faithful to his father. Therefore, Hebrews 3, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, my holy brothers and sisters who share in this heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Okay, so he was faithful Jesus was faithful to his father, and he was a holy priest. Okay? He was our high priest. He was faithful to his calling, Luke 4, 43. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. God, Jesus came to present the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, resurrection, what he was being. He was the resurrection of life. Believe in him and you shall have life. He is faithful even when we're faithless. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. This is what Jesus does. Even when we're faithless, when we're God's people, chosen people, who don't have faith, he still remains faithful to us. But I remind you of this. He is our faithful high priest. 
He's our faithful high priest. Jesus is your faithful high priest. Now think of that role, a faithful high priest. We'll conclude on this. Okay? For this reason, Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make an atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Okay? God right now is focused on this principle, and that he's leading us. Okay? He is our faithful high priest, but he has also called us to be priests. First Peter 2, 5 and 9. Someone read the, those two verses for me. Christian culture we say the spiritual ones are to be the pastors and we put them up on a pedestal of holy responsibility but us not so much well yeah but I'm not a pastor so I don't have to live that way mm -mm. God has called you and me to be a holy priesthood so that what we can do, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're not sacrificing animals. We're sacrificing ourselves for others. We're sacrificing ourselves. And this is who we are. We're a holy priesthood. May we go and live as priests. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for this time that we've been here today, and I pray that you would help us as we continue to serve you in all that we do to be who you've called us to be. May we not shortchange ourselves and our responsibility, but to love you as you've loved us and love others the same. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for your patience going over a little bit today. God bless you all. Have a great week.